welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Howdy, folks. I've had several conversations in the last month or so that all point in the same direction. Broadly, they've been about how our customers become customers. I think we might assume too much about how that happens, and as a result, maybe missing some opportunities. This interview is just one of those conversations that revolves around the top of the funnel. Speaking of that part of the funnel, one of my favorite things to do is to help you by creating thought leadership content that pulls people in with insights from your executive and scientific leadership teams, and to make it easy for them. If you listen to this episode and think you need some help, there's a link to my calendar in the show notes. And if you want someone to tell stories full-time, you might want to call my guest. Now, let's jump into my conversation with Ryan Flynn. Ryan Flynn is a strategic PR professional and experienced storyteller. And today we're going to talk about why corporate comms is so important. So, Ryan, first of all, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. And just to start out, for people who have a vague idea or not any idea at all, give us a description or definition of what corporate communications is, because I know it can be broad. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, I think, changed a lot in the past few decades. But just, you know, a high level corporate communications is any, uh, it's a function that handles all communications, either internally or externally for a company. So it could be a company-wide email about a new policy change or uh, an important update for development. Uh, it also includes press releases, podcasts, video, anything you might put out content-wise uh, is is developed through the communications office. Okay. Um, so let's talk about strategy and particularly with respect to early-stage companies. So what could a good comm strategy deliver if it's done well that those early stage companies who are focused on lots of other things might not be thinking about. Yeah, I think it's a critical component. You know, obviously it's a self-serving thing to say that, but um, what a lot of companies, and I, I, my background is I was a reporter for 13 years. I worked at Bloomberg News. I've interviewed thousands of, of executives and written stories about ones that succeed and don't succeed. And the thing that stuck out to me the most was uh, companies that knew how to talk about themselves in an engaging way. So as a company, you could have the right product and the right approach, um, but not have a good communications or story approach, and that could damage your market. And there's a lot of examples of companies, again, the technology was better than the competitor, but they didn't make it out to the market or they pulled back for some reason. Um, and I think a lot of that is not just having, the, again, the right product or service and the right people, but also the right story about what you're doing and why. The idea is that you, you really have to uh, engage your um, customers and employees and potential employees and investors with an emotional connection. You have to under, you have to really make them want to emotionally invest in you so that even if you know, you're know you far back in the pack, they're like, oh, I want this company to win. I'm going to support them in some way, whether it's buying a product or service or work for them. Uh, so it's a critical component that I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about. They think about... Um, pushing forward with a marketing or a sales approach where, hey, we're the best, here's, we're the best product and here's why. They're giving you features of their product. Uh, but people in the audience may not know they, they even want that product in the first place. 
So it, it's less about getting people an accurate description of here are our bullet points of why we're great and more about, hey, here's something you might need in your life. And a great example of this was uh, I was um, doing a, a class at a, at a journalism school um, a few years ago, and we were going through this, how to, ha- you know, how to understand what your audience is looking to hear from you. And this one young woman had a story about how she did uh, summer. She was selling windows as an intern for a company. And she said, yeah, you know, she, she was like, I remember doing a, a thing where if you call, say, hey, do you want to buy windows? They'd say, no, hang up and, you know, ne- next next call. But she would hit them with, hey, do you hate drafty windows? And they would say, yeah, sure. I hate my house all drafty in the wintertime. And then she'd say, well, great, because we're happy we have a sale on double pane windows that can help prevent that. Now, it's a simple kind of sales marketing approach, but I think it also applies to comms as well. I think if you have to kind of understand what your audience is looking to hear and what their problems are and how your 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 uh, software or service or product could solve that and start with that as a communications function, um, because that's going to, again, in, enable that emotional connection that will help them want to support you, even if there might be a product that's got different options or less lower price or, or whatever. Yeah, the... the- statement or the phrase that stood out to me in your whole answer was hey we want these guys to win yeah and so i was looking over our notes from our previous call and the whole idea about getting your story out to beyond your target audience Mm -hmm. and just thinking like if you just present data and as you say even the people who are in your target audience if they're not in market that data might not mean anything to them right now. And everybody else is just going to go, well, that's, they're not talking to me at all. Right. But if you can expand the story emotionally, other people will go, hey, that's a cool idea. There, you have a better chance of someone else going, them sharing it if it, that topic came up with someone right. else. Right. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I had a, another good example of this. We were consulting with this company working on a AR, VR headset. And... Um, the developer wanted to go after sort of an extreme market, you know, extreme gamers or, or you know, a market that seemed small to me. Um, but the way he explained it, it made a lot of sense. Um, he said, you know, think about GoPro, right? GoPro, um, their ads are are people like jumping off mountains with snowboards. And he's like, my 60-year-old wife wants to buy a GoPro to record like her skiing. Out. She's not a hella skier or anything, but there's that example of going for the the cool kids or the the ones, and even if you're never going to do that yourself, um, I think it, it, that makes you in your mind imagine doing that. And I think that's sort of where I think Allbirds had had right initially, and where they went wrong recently. If you look at the Wall Street Journal article about how they expanded too broadly into like you know workout pants and regular shoes, you know they had a really their first market was Silicon Valley tech geeks, right? Everyone's loving these wool shoes and. And um, they try to capitalize on that and, and really expand their market to audiences that, you know, again, to wool workout pants and other things that were just beyond the scope of what people were interested in. And I think sometimes, you know, targeting that audience, giving people a sense of what you could do with, with the device or the product. Uh, similarly, Apple, when they launched their um, their new headset, you know, beforehand, I'm like, who is going to buy a $3,000, $4,000? I mean, that's, it's, it's so ridiculous. There's nothing they can show me that makes me want to want one of these things. And I watched a presentation, and by the end of the first half of the thing, I'm like, wow, I mean, <laughs> I want to get one of these things. And they, they just showed people using it in situations in everyday life that made it seem like, yeah, I could see myself doing that, or I could see that how that could help my life and make my life easier. Um, and then they got into the technical aspects of how it was made and the quality. But I, I, I tell that as an example because I think a lot of um, a lot of executives or people at startups think if they just 
tell you or show you the specs for their product or technology or their company, why they're such a good company. Um, that, that may all be things that like a venture capitalist or a consumer say, yep, I want these five things. They're checked the boxes, but they're not engaging me emotionally or getting me excited about what I could do with it. So that's something to keep in mind of don't just sell me on, you know, the, the accounting and why it makes sense rationally. Sell me on an emotional aspect of it, how it's going to make my life better or different. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just, that's just a marketing lesson we have to hammer over and over again. Right. That, um, And it's rare that there is a best product. I mean, it's it might be best and it might be great for your target, but you can't just say it's better than everybody else. That doesn't tell a story about right. why that matters. I think, um, and there's another good example of that. I remember talking to a, a drug executive years ago and she was a researcher and they were working on the cholesterol medicine and uh, there's already like six or seven medicines in the market. Um, and this one was not looking super great compared to the other ones, but this person was like begging the CEO, like, please, I know this drug's going to be a winner. Just give it another chance. And they did it and it was Lipitor and it became the best selling drug of all time. And it was seventh to the market, you know? So I think beyond selling somebody on the emotional aspects of why it's fun or different or why it could help your life, you know, even the, the, you know, the emotional aspect of we want this company to succeed. And the way I, I sort of try to tell executives about this is that as a reporter at Bloomberg, um, I did my research on a company and their competitors before I talked to them. So I would know, okay, you know, you have three competitors. They have more money than you. They have more products than you. Their products have better reviews or whatever it is. Um, and, and I wanted to get a sense of like, how are you planning to get ahead of that? And if you think about a carnival games and, you know, the game where you squirt water to the horse, the horses move forward, you know, there's always a horse that goes from the back to the front. Um, and so I tried to th think about companies as they're, they have a position that they're starting late or they have a fast lead or in the middle. Um, what is your plan to get ahead of the market? Um, and how do you communicate that to people? So, you know, we are early, but we're, you know, scrappy. We're going to have all new things coming up. So please pay attention. And even if the goal is not to necessarily close a sale with the first interaction, which I don't think it should be, the idea is that is that to build relationships. I think a lot of people view communications as a transactional thing where, hey, we talked to a reporter, we should have a story out now, right? It's like, no, that's not how it works. Reporters, their point of view is I need a source, I need scoops, I need stories that only I can get. If I if I write a story and my editor Googles it and finds someone else run it, it's canceled. So, you know, reporters need stuff that only they can get and they need sources that they can develop and get real voices. So from a company point of view, you should be trying to build those relationships, not to necessarily gain or earn a story, although that's hopefully what you want to happen, um, but to view it as that's what the reporter needs and wants is looking for. And same thing for an audience, you know, there might be people that will you know, might be want, might think about buying a product or might think about using a service but not ready to buy yet or might be with another competitor, but they just see so much good engaging content or communications from that from that company that over six months they, they switch. Um, so I think that's it's an important element to think about not communication not just as a transactional relationship where again, boom, 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 you should do now things I you should do something because I designed for you. It's more of, you know, how we continue the conversation. If you're following me on, on social media, if you're if you're if you're sign up for our email newsletter. Those are all points of contact that, again, hopefully will, you know, enable them to to want to engage with the company in some way. Yeah, that's good advice. I mean, uh, it makes total sense. I'm just thinking about the advantage of building those relationships so that they will pay attention as your story 
I guess I'm trying to think about, um, you know, you say they, they need something new. Right. If the go if the editor Googles it and it's not new, but if you're, so I guess my next question is what makes your story new with regards to them? Cause you're not, it doesn't seem like you're talking about, you've already talked to somebody else. It means what, how is your story new in the marketplace? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so as a book Bloomberg reporter, you know, you have four screens with headlines that are constantly screaming up all day long. Um, and you're rated as a reporter on the, how many times people click on your story. If they share that story, if you're the first person with this story. So if I'm the first person to announce the right story about some company coming up with a new product, I get points for that. These are all these different metrics you're measured by. Um, and I knew that I had a, you know, so it's, it's the attention economy. How do you break through the attention economy? So I get somebody who's in New York, doesn't care about technology or biotech, um, but they click on my story about one of those industries and wants to read it um, and then, you know, shares it with their friends. So I get more benefits from that. Part of it is good writing, but part of it is finding the angle that others have maybe ignored before. Um, and as a feature writer at Bloomberg, you know, we had beat reporters that covered Facebook, Google, all those companies. I had to find articles that they didn't deem important enough to cover for like a, a, a news beat, but that I could kind of twist into an interesting angle. So, you know, like for one, I did a profile on Autodesk, you know, the, the CAD software company, because um, I found this angle of, of the CEO, like he has a woodworking shop in Berkeley and he, he like carves like tables and chairs. And, you know, it's a it's the it's the analog to the digital version of what his software does. So I, I found that contrast really compelling. Um, so that was sort of like the lead of the story um, that we did. And I think similarly, you know, looking beyond just, again, the bullet points of what makes a product interesting or important to consumers, what is the angle, you know, that will help the reporter write a story about it or somebody going, wow, what a cool example. Um, I want to learn more about that. So it, it's hard to find, but, you know, you can also look at it as maybe you don't have to be a really cool executive with a great story. But uh, it maybe it's something about your 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 hero customer, right? What is the customer going through? What are they dealing with? And, and for biotech, so I my primary role has been in biotech for the past 10, 15 years. And um, and this is something where, you know, we look at what the patients are complaining about in terms of what their life is. So for one company I've talked to, they're working on a, a drug for liver disease. And um, it was linked to cirrhosis initially. Now it's not linked to cirrhosis, but a lot of people feel like, oh, if I have this condition, people are going to think I'm a drinker, a heavy drinker, right? Same thing for lung cancer. If, if uh, people get diagnosed with lung cancer, half people that get diagnosed don't never smoke. But people assume, oh, you must have smoked cigarette. That's why you're, you have lung cancer. And so understanding those pressures and those that, that mindset helps when you message around your new, your new drug, you know, saying, you know, it's okay to, to be accept this condition to, you know, it's people most people like you they don't they don't smoke they're not drinkers they still have this condition so you know and that's an important element of, of a patient story to to understand and also you know sometimes quality life issues are are more important to them than some of the the broader things so in a market where there's a drug already in the market that that people prefer the second drug might actually help reduce um a side effect it's called it's like chronic itching and you think, oh, itching's not that bad. But if, you know, imagine having poison ivy for a year and it never goes away. That's a horrific kind of yeah. experience, right? Um, we had, I did a patient event when I was at J&J uh, on cancer research. We had a, a 360 panel where we had a, a patient, we had a lab researcher, we had a venture capitalist investing you know, in companies, and then a, another person from J&J who ran the, the franchise. And you know, most people on stage are like looking for new pathways, 
we have to attack cancer. How are we going to destroy the cells? And the cancer patient herself had been through multiple rounds of treatment and the story she had were just incredible and things that you wouldn't think about from a science point of view. So she was saying she had an opportunity to get a new treatment, but she was so wary and beat up and the treatment would have required a lower back puncture, which is an extremely painful procedure. They take a chunk of your lower back and it would have been her 200th one. So, which side? so she decided to go to hospice instead of getting this lower back puncture to see if she could get this this treatment. And again, that's not part of like say cancer treatment that you would think of when you're developing new cures for cancer, but that's an important element to think about what your audience is going through. So there's always these hidden things about yeah, your customer, your own people, your company that like, how can we bring this really interesting element out and, and talk about it so people identify with it. And, and again, even if it's a blog post on our on our company's site, it, they, it's a recognition of this is a, a real thing people are living and dealing with. So, you know, if you're not having a, a solution for that problem, at least it's a recognition of it. And again, might endear people more to what you're working on. Yeah, you reminded me of uh, probably a year and a half, two years ago, I did an interview with Betsy Bennett on this um, program and she helps pharma and other companies with their marketing. She's been a cancer patient twice, once for lung cancer, and she described the difference in the Facebook groups for one group as opposed to the lung cancer group when she's not a smoker and and just the attitude like, well, there you go, right? And and that was part of her patient journey that, you know, if companies could communicate in a way to say, we care about all of you, first of all, doesn't matter (laughs) how you got it. Here we are. Yeah. What do we do? But also, yeah, just helping people feel human. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about story structure. If, you know, just so people can think about if, you know, they're going to a reporter, what would make a good story? A couple of things that you mentioned that I found interesting already are, you know, the woodworker mm-hmm. and Autodesk, right? Right. Um, those little personal touches woven into a story, to me, it can be irresistible. This, Completely, this, you know, and it, people think, I don't have a good story. I'm not like a marathon runner. I don't do it. You know, you don't have to have a crazy story. Um, sometimes even the smallest things, the aha, the aha moments, you know, this one woman that we were talking to, she was reading like a, I don't know, science report three o'clock in the morning because she couldn't sleep and she had a light bulb go off and go, oh my God, we could do a new OPC treatment based on this study that I read, you know, and it, that does, it's a, it's a small moment. It's not like a huge, you know, exciting thing, but it's one of those things that gives people a sense of that personality. They want to hear how thing was discovered, the aha moment. Um, but beyond that, I, I try to tell people, especially more the more technical and science people that think of storytelling as something that's, you know, kind of like fluffy or marketing, you know, or silly. Um, you can really break it down into a science. There, there is a science of storytelling. And the key thing is, all a story is, is change over time. So if you think of an XY graph, um, there are events that happen to the development of the company or the patient journey, and there's times when they're down, and the times when they're up, and there's times when you're back down again. And connecting those dots is the story, and understanding where to start um, is really important. So thinking about the moment where you know, your company is gonna fail and flame out, and, and then all of a sudden succeeded and came back. Like I think a lot about, you know, Elon Musk and, and Tesla, where they were, he was ready to go bankrupt, right? And sell the company, and he, you know, they, then he finally, last minute, got some money together and succeeded. But there's all these, there's all lot of stories like that where, you know, people are afraid to be vulnerable. And I think, you know, 
thinking about telling stories about how you failed in the lab a million times and suddenly something came up. So it's the, it's the change over time and the delta between the change is what really, again, makes it an imp- impressive story. And the way that I advise people to listen and why I write a story at a, as a Bloomberg reporter would be to start with that biggest moment, right? So everything's riding in the line. You know, if, it, if this didn't work out, the company probably go out of business. If it, if it succeeded, it could be a huge new thing. And then you go kind of back into the details. Like they just keep reading because they want to f- find out what happens. But that could be anything big or small part of the process. But find out what is that one thing that sort of pivoted the company or pivoted the product development or, you know, a patient deciding whether to go to hospice or try another treatment. You know, what is that moment that you can talk about and share about and, and um, relate to what you're working on? And that, you know, even if it's not you yourself, you can say, well, that's why we're working so hard to make this new treatment or new product because people like, you know, Susie, who um, was going through this and almost didn't make it. So that's the kind of thing where, again, I feel like it really helps to center the emotional interest um, beyond the bullet points. I, I, and I think back to this thing, I saw this meme, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, probably 10 years ago. And it was someone who mocked up, a designer, who mo- a marketer who mocked up how like Apple marketed the iPhone versus Microsoft with their phone. And the Microsoft phone box had all these, you know, call outs about gigabytes and data hertz and all these, you know, all things that, yeah, you're sure. I want a fast phone that has memory and I want it to have a color screen. Um, but it was just full of these things that it was jargony. It didn't make, you know, for the most people, it didn't say that. And then Apple was just the phone, the black phone with the white case. And it was like, you know, your whole world in your pocket. And, and you know, sometimes too many details can detract from the attractiveness of what you're doing. Same thing for, for communications, right? You get investor decks and I so many like fights with people, like they want to include Excel spreadsheets on a, on a slide. And they think, look, these investors are smart. They know what they're doing. They need to see this stuff. Yeah, sure. They need to see that like in a, in a, in a document at some point. But if you're trying to hook them on, I mean, you want them to say, oh, I'm interested to tell me more, right? You can show them you're smart later on, but hook them on the story first. Why are what, the reason to exist, what the potential market is and, you know, why you could be different. Why, even if you're the last one to the market, how you could plan to get ahead of others. And then, you know, you can have stuff in the index with all the data points and, but you need to get past that first skepticism of like, I've heard a million pitches. I don't, you know, what, why, why should I care about you? Um, so right. that's, yeah, that's the hard part, but interesting part. Yeah. You outlined the flow of the story about the change over time. If you haven't seen it, I'm guessing maybe you have Kurt Vonnegut has some videos on YouTube where he actually yeah. draws the graph of stories. That's an amazing video. And the thing is like that was rejected for a PhD thesis. They rejected it, his idea. Um, and so, yeah, eventually he wrote about it. And what I found even more fascinating is like 10, 20 years later, MIT did a big data, um, study on this. They put in like stories, thousands of stories from across human history from, you know, millennia ago. And it backed up basically what he said, that all stories have similar curves. And when I say curves, you know, I'm referring to the fact that talk about the X, Y graph and the change over time. Um, there are stories like Cinderella where she starts off poor, so kind of low, you know, goes to the ball, has a good time, so it's now it's higher up. Then at midnight, goes back to being poor, and then back at the end, he's happy again. So it's it's down, up, down, up, right? That's one curve. Um, there's six general curves. There's Oedipus Rex, goes from perfect, all the way to horrible, it's a depression story. Um, but there's six stories, that six, six arcs that all human histories, all stories through all human history follow. And I, I just find that fascinating. So again, if you know that, you try to think about how to, what, what is our arc as a company? 
maybe you had an Oedipus Rex arc in your previous role, and that's a good <laughs> starting point to say, so from, I've learned these lessons from my last role, even though it was terrible, you know, it's a good origin story, right? Um, and But people love to get that, like, you know, we're going to climb this mountain. The Luke Skywalker, I'm a, I'm a poor boy on a desert, you know, furthest away from everything. And then at the end of the movie, he's blowing up the Death Star. It's like, how did he get there? It's crazy, right? So what is your version of that, whether it's for you or the patient or the company or the product? Yeah. Um, I think I'm looking... Let's talk about missed opportunities. Are there things that... Um, gaps that people aren't thinking about or i think i think in general the idea of storytelling again it, I, I especially in the healthcare world i do find a lot of people find it like to be something that's not worth effort or time uh, not everybody but a, a lot of people think that oh you know i i deal with scientists they want hard cold hard facts and you know i've been prepping companies for for presentations in front of investors and you know, they had a patient with this amazing recovery story. And I'm like, this lead with that, the graph, the chart, x-ray of the tumor before and after as like a reason to where I were excited for this new medicine. And they instead went with like an Excel kind of spreadsheet on, you know, these numbers and the numbers. Yeah. If you spend time looking at it, were impressive, but no one was looking at it because, you know, you're talking at a podium, you're showing a spreadsheet, people don't know where to focus. So I think, you know, I, I, the TED Talk style, coming up with a, a good image that you want your audience to remember, and then a couple of bullet points per slide. But I think too often it, that's using pictures even is considered. Eh, it's kind of it's a it's cheap. It's it's a marketing gimmick. Um, but I really do think like human human you can studies show humans pay attention or learn more, retain more information. And the whole point of a slideshow, I mean, is to transfer knowledge from your brain to somebody else's brain with using visuals, right? So. If you view it as a transfer, you know, uh, device, um, what's the best way to do that is through images and short bullet points. And again, the whole goal was to get them to say, I'm really curious, tell me more. You want to have that emotional resonance. I mean, think about all the events you've been to, all the conferences over history in your, your lifetime. I mean, do you ever remember any of the presentations? Maybe a handful over decades, but you know, what try to think about what presentations you remember or what lines from presentations you remember. And what about that you remember? Was it like, usually it's like a stark statement. You know, I remember one, the company was saying, you know, we're going to, we, we have a question we're trying to answer. Can we attack the cancer cells with your own immune cells? And we do that in enough time so we can make a new drug out of it. Well, we're going to walk you through 20 slides showing you how we tried to get there. And I, I don't remember the 20 slides, but I remember that intro from again, 10 years ago. So those are kind of the things where, you know, you have an audience that you, th that obviously have a background, they're smart, they're intelligent, you don't want to talk down to them. But at the same time, you have to really engage that human side that, you know, you want them to remember, but think about it six months later, or a year later, because that's typically when deals tend to happen. Yeah, two things there. <laughs> the Apple phone that you mentioned, that's just intriguing. Like, I want to know more. Like, if you present it right, and, and that's, that you're walking a fine line there, like, because it right. is possible to give too little information and people go, what the hell are you talking about? But <laughs> right. I mean, Apple has a rep had a reputation before they built a phone. So right. people had a pretty good idea that it could be pretty cool. And then when you talk about presentations, I don't have any that are sticking with me right now, but I just, um, I did an interview with somebody today. We're going to do a podcast in a couple of weeks. I met him at a show last week. I walked by their booth and they stood up and I looked and it wasn't 
it wouldn't necessarily have been a company I would have stopped to talk to, but I asked them what they do. And this guy was a pretty young guy, I think, gave me the best elevator speech I've ever heard. And I go, okay, I want to talk to you guys. Like, <laughs> and um, they just describe what their company does. You, I'm going to make you all subscribe and tune in to find out <laughs> what that story was. But they definitely got my attention and got this guy on a podcast. So. <laughs> Yeah. Ryan Flynn, yeah, this has been great. Thank you so much. I hope people Thanks, will take... Yeah, I really enjoyed this. It's, it, these are always... I love these kind of conversations. You know, you, there's so many great ideas out there, and I think there's so much we could do more in communications and marketing and branding, especially, you know, in healthcare technology. So, yeah, um, I, I, this was a great conversation, and I hope people enjoyed it. I'm sure they will. And, yeah, I've got sort of a theme of uh, some... I've got a few threads running recently. I've got few episodes on different topics one of them is on branding and the importance of those memorable moments mm -hmm. because um, as you will hear in another episode most of the people aren't looking to buy today but right you need them when you're ready to sell right? <laughs> right. all right i hope that inspires some of you to think more broadly about when why and how to get your story out to as broad an audience as possible. If you made it this far, I'll assume you like the podcast. I'll also assume that you know someone else who would like it too. It would be awesome and good karma for you if you share it with them. I'll be back with more episodes soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>